My name is Vincent Du. My name is Milo Charbel, and I'm a student producer for We Need to Talk, Tough Conversations in Healthcare. As the title implies, this is a podcast devoted to tough conversations in health, how they impact those of us in the next generation, and how we can offer potential solutions. All of our conversations are based on public town halls produced by our class at Arizona State University College of Health Solutions. Hi, my name is Swapna Reddy, and I'm an attorney, policy expert, and professor. Hi, I am Dr. Greg Meyer, general surgeon and palliative care physician. Hi, I'm Dr. Joe Servan, and this is We Need to Talk, Tough Conversations in Healthcare. And we're all faculty at the Arizona State University's College of Health Solutions. Today, we're talking about fake health news. You know, fake news has taken on a life of its own. And one important facet of it that a lot of people haven't always concentrated on is the aspect of fake health news. The big difference between fake news and fake health news, this can kill you. We looked at an important conversation about what is fake health news? And more importantly, what can we do to immunize ourselves against it? We had two amazing guests, Christy Roschke, who is the managing director of the CoLab at the Cronkite School of Journalism here at Arizona State University, and Dr. Joe Draskowski, an associate dean of student affairs at the Mayo Clinic College of Medicine. You know, one one of the most interesting things about this night was the definition of fake health news. Christy Roschke set it up beautifully for us, and she made a distinction that really helped me put my arms around it, which is the intent of what the news is oftentimes can help differentiate what's fake health news versus just getting it wrong. Starting with kind of a definition, and it's, it's sort of not an easy thing to answer because I think we saw in the video this phrase has taken on a life of its own, right? So it's kind of been morphed to mean something that's not true, something that may be um, you know, skewed one way or the other, or something I simply don't like, you know, your fake news. And I think health, fake health news falls into that same sort of category where we have sort of a range of things, everything from information that is 100% false and even maybe created with the intent to harm people. And when we're talking about health news, we, we actually mean, you know, potential physical harm to things that are um, sensationalized or skewed to um, attract a certain audience. Um, so it's kind of a broad spectrum of things. So I, in, in the News Club, we've kind of taken to, to use the terms mis and disinformation as opposed to fake news, because I think it gets at sort of the broader problem at hand. Dr. Meyer, what did you think about that particular night with regards to what stood out for you from what our guests said? Two things to me is what where people are going, especially the younger generation, where are they getting their, their health news, their news in general, but in, for tonight's topic, uh, health news. And to me, some of those were the last place I would go to get anything accurate. And then also the uh, telling the truth in such an important area as health care, taking care of yourself, is to me vital. And when you start to break that, that uh, pact you have with a patient in our case and 
uh, students or whatever, and you start to distort reality or switch a little bit of, combine a little bit of real news or accurate news with uh, fake health news. And it's just can lead to really serious consequences. It's misleading and it's just wrong. Something that Dr. Driskowski talked about tonight really struck me. And as Dr. Servan said, the consequences for some of this fake health news can be tragic. He discussed a patient that he had, a young lady, who found a treatment for seizures on the internet, and it led to tragic situation. And I remember this lady got, she got some advice off the internet, and she went to the health food store, and she was taking, she had seizures, and she started taking uh, a thyroid extract. It was sheep thyroid, mm. ground up sheep thyroid. And she said, well, I need to lose a little weight. I need to breathe my thyroid gland a little bit, you know, get a little supplement going. And she started taking it and she said, oh, this is pretty good, a little bit more and then a little bit more. And then she wound up in a coma. And so, I mean, she went to the store with good intent, but she really didn't get good advice. You know what I'm saying? And it, and it really, the lady became brain injured and she had to be cared for forever. I still care for her 20 years later. What a tragic end in that situation that uh, Dr. Driskowski talked about. Professor Reddy, uh, wonderful conversation tonight. So what were some of the important takeaways for you? Yeah, this was a fascinating conversation this evening, uh, especially because this fake health news piece has so much impact uh, in how our populations are making health decisions, as we've been discussing. And something that I think is incredibly important is how uh, families and parents are making decisions about things like vaccination is a huge one that we're hearing quite a bit about. But, you know, something that was really interesting to me is how certain populations seem to be more susceptible to fake health news than others. And Christy Roschke had a really interesting comment uh, as it related to uh, the elderly population and fake health news. Some recent research would indicate that it is the older population that is more susceptible to believing fake information, and that's news sort of broadly. But certainly, I would believe, I would assume that you know that health news falls into that category. Um, and, and to your point, it's maybe not catalogs, although I would imagine catalogs are still as influential in TV and all these other forms of media. But we focus a lot of our attention on what social media does simply because of the amplification factor and the way at which information can spread. Um, and so it is certainly an older audience that can, can be fooled a little bit easier and are actually more likely to then go on and share it with other people. Um, and I have sort of similar stories about my parents, um, just in terms of, oh, did you, you know, I feel like this has always been happening. Oh, did you hear the this? You know, but it used to be, did you hear this on the news or did you read this in the paper? Um, and at least there maybe was some sort of source attached to it. I think my biggest problem was, was when people say, did you hear that this thing happened today? And, and you say, no, I didn't hear. Where did you hear that? Oh, I saw it on Twitter. Okay, well, Twitter's not a source of information. So where on Twitter did you see it? Oh, I don't know. It just, I, I'll see if I can find it again. So to me, part, I don't have a specific example, but I think sort of that anecdotal way that we share tidbits of information, and I do it too. I mean, I just shared a piece of information that I wasn't sure was 100% accurate. But my problem with it more and more is that the source of that information is so divorced from 
where we see things. You know, things get separated from where they originate very easily. Or even if you see a post and it came from a reliable source, you don't remember what the source is. You remember the platform on which you saw it. And so then when, if it, whether it's real or not, you share it. And there's really no way to track that. And there's really no culpability other than to say Twitter or Facebook. Um, and that's kind of the end of it. So I, I find that to be increasingly frustrating and problematic. So the point about the elderly being more susceptible to fake news, and my example is my father, who was a fond believer in catalogs that could basically cure anything. And his uh, main focus tended to be his sinuses. And then it became his memory. And then it became his prostate. And then it became something for my mother as she was struggling with dementia. And he was so in love with her that he wanted her to be better and get her memory back and he would try these things and I knew they wouldn't help her but I would never go to the as far as to say no that's gonna if I felt it was going to hurt her of course but none of it was going to hurt her it was just sad to see him trying to have faith in something that was not going to work. Greg that's such a, a poignant story and and it really highlights what we're trying to say here is that at the end of the day we have to take everything that we listen to uh, kind of in, uh, to, to make sure it's correct, not at face value anymore. And I think that's the ultimate take-home message for all of our listeners out there. Even if we're desperate for cures, we still have to understand that there has to be additional exploration as to what's actually true and what isn't anymore. That's all that we have for tonight. Special thanks to our student producers at ASU, our podcast producer, Sarah Ventry, and our music is by Broke for Free. Join us for the next We Need to Talk podcast when we'll be addressing maternal mortality. On behalf of my co-moderators, Dr. Greg Meyer and Professor Swapna Reddy, as well as the We Need to Talk class at ASU College of Health Solutions, this is... Dr. Joe Servant.